Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to 11 Color Abroad. Happy New Year. 2020, the new decade. It's good to be back. I apologize for the long wait. Um, I believe my last episode was December 18th, around that time. And right after that, I went on, va- I went on vacation. I was went to New York, spent some time in Costa Rica, got back to work this week. So I've just been acclimating, you know, back into to this lifestyle and things of that nature. So I apologize for the long wait. But I have a new episode for you. I'm very excited. On this episode, you'll be hearing from Spencer, who has uh, lived abroad in Cameroon and Pakistan. And he discusses um, living in Cameroon for two years, how he felt a deep connection by being uh, African-American living in Africa. Uh, He discusses the intricacies and difficulties of being in an interracial relationship while in Africa. And he also discusses the adversity he faced. He got mugged in his first week while there. That's pretty crazy. So he discusses that. And also he talks a little bit about Pakistan and, and again, dispels the notions of, you know, what Americans and their views of what it's like to live in a place like Pakistan and also what his goals are for 2020. He's going to be moving to Kazakhstan. So his, his goals are for 2020, how he wants to be a better international citizen, just an overall, you know, better person. Really enjoy his episode and I hope you do as well. This is A Living Color Abroad. to welcome Spencer to Lemon Color Abroad. Welcome, Spencer. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be, nice to join you. So, Spencer, just start off with you telling me and our listeners a little bit about yourself. All right, so a little about me. I grew up in uh, Florida. Uh, after Florida, I basically went to the military for a little bit, and then I realized that the uh, military wasn't for me, so I actually uh, started school at community college and transferred to the University of Iowa. Um, and teaching, teaching is what I do now, but originally wasn't my first choice. I was actually pre-pharmacy, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons, basically for money. But then after I graduated, I decided to kind of take a substitute uh, position. And then I ended up getting a teaching certificate and then uh, taking over full time. And that's how I got started. And then I uh, went back to Iowa, uh, received my master's, and then started my life abroad, basically. Wow, and what did you get your master's in? So my master's in um, is in a, a master of arts in teaching. So and the main focus was secondary science. Mm. And did you did so you didn't teach at all in the states? I actually did. Uh, after I got the substitution gig in Tampa, I actually worked as a um, physical science teacher uh, in West Chase, which is a suburb of Tampa. <laughs> so I taught here for a little bit, and then I kind of went backwards and got the master's in all the teaching credit, like the official teaching education that I needed to get. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about uh, that whole that that military part, because. I don't speak. I only had one guest uh, that was had military experience. So you said it wasn't for you. How did you know that it wasn't for you? You wanted to like go do something else. What was it about the experience that let you know that? Basically, I didn't have any like necessary issues. I was, I was moving up through the ranks pretty quickly, but I, it was always something in the back of my mind to go and pursue 
uh, a college education to actually get the university experience. Um, uh, there's a lot of people who actually they're in the military to get their degree at the same time, which is cool. But for me, I just have to have that one goal, kind of one track mind. So I knew I had to get out to kind of accomplish that goal and also get the university experience um, as close as I could to university age, basically. Got it. And, and, and what, we're in the military, Army, Navy. What was it? So I was, I was in the Navy. I was stationed in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Um, I was on the USS Trenton, which is a, an LPD amphibious ship, and then I transferred to the USS Enterprise, uh, CVN-65, which is now decommissioned. Um, so I had a great time on both ships. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, thank you for your service, sir. Um, uh, oh, not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> Um, well, I was going to say, so that's interesting because, you know, you said you're, you know, you're in the Navy and then you decide to move abroad. So if you can give me some insight in regards to those, obviously those two major decisions, right? So it's not every yeah. day that it's not everyone that's able to join, you know, the military <laughs> little and also it's not every day they're able to people to just move abroad and then, you know, move. We'll talk about where you were living and things of that nature. So what was the reaction yeah. of your family when you told them, hey, I'm in the military? And how does that compare to the reaction when you said, hey, I'm going to be living abroad? <laughs> Okay, so when I decided to join the military, I, I didn't get the best reaction. I made decent grades in uh, high school, and I wasn't necessarily a bad student. So my my mom, she basically she didn't understand. Like, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you, you know, joining the military? You should be going straight to college. But at the time, I was burned out from school, and I didn't want to go through academic type of studying. And I'd rather focus on like a career and uh you know make a little bit of money and see the world all the things that the recruiters tell you that's what i wanted to do so <laughs> uh, but when i decided to to kind of teach abroad it was i don't think it was necessarily a shock um to my mom and to my family at that point because they knew i, I like you know traveling and seeing these things and uh, so they're like okay that's good so it was definitely uh, they're very uh supportive of that decision Awesome. And where was where was your first gig abroad? Where was it? So my first gig abroad was in Douala, Cameroon. Okay. Mm-hmm. How long how long were you there for? I was there for exactly two years and then left. Got it. So let's talk about that, right? Because again, I haven't um, I have not interviewed anyone yet that has taught in Africa. But so tell me when you decided, all right, I'm gonna do Africa. You're a black man moving to a predominantly black country and obviously the black continent, the motherland, right? So yeah. What what was going through your mind when you made that initial decision to do that? Or why Cameroon in particular? So I gave, uh, one of the reasons why I gave Cameroon a chance is because at the time, my, my fiance now, she didn't have her teaching credentials, but I had mine and it was like one of the only schools <laughs> that would give us a chance and give her like a small time job. Um, she eventually, she ended up working there too and getting her teaching credentials later, uh, later, but they're willing to wait for us to get all of this done. So I think both school, but the school was kind of desperate. We were kind of desperate and, uh, we decided like, Hey, let's, you know, let's go to Cameroon. Let's see what's to let's, uh, you know, see what it's like there. Got it. And how do you find out about this opportunity? Uh, so we went to the UNI job fair, so University of Northern Iowa, they put on an international job fair every year um, in Waterloo. So 
uh, one of my professors actually told me about it, and I was like, you know what, that's a good idea. It'll be a good way to, you know, pay off some student loans, some graduate student loans, and uh, so we went, and uh, I had a lot of interviews, and it was a great experience, so that's how we ended up finding out about this whole international teaching community, is through college professors. That's awesome, and I want to speak a little bit about that, right, because I've, I've interviewed other people that really didn't know about this, about international teaching or, or just living abroad, that it was possible. And like for myself, I did not know, I I knew about study abroad when I was in college, but I didn't think that I could like have a job abroad. You know, I didn't find that about later on in my life and through my own due diligence and research, you know? So that's yeah. kind of awesome that, you know, you're an example of because you did a higher education, you were shown these opportunities that other people that are like you and I might not know about. And I think yeah. it goes to show that education is super important in really finding these decisions, you know, out and making sure you have people that care about you. Like you said, your professor lets you know, like, hey, check this out, you know. It's always so important to have people that are looking out for your best interests or at least letting you know about opportunities, whether you're interested or not. Exactly, yep. That's yeah, definitely very important. Uh, I think the more you move up in education, the more opportunities that it seems to come your way or you kind of... Uh, find out like, oh, I could do this with, you know, this degree or, you know, so you get introduced to a lot of different avenues that you can take uh, with uh, whatever de degree you decide to get. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So, all right. So you're going on, you, so you're going to Cameroon with your fiance, your fiance, correct? Correct. You're all right. So what were your initial talks with your fiance? Like, as far as once you guys decided it was happening, like you have, what were your, uh, like, okay, I'm concerned about this. Oh, this is going to be amazing. Just tell me what, what is that whole process like? The initial, the initial conversation was basically, it was like, okay, we're going to do the two years in Douala, Cameroon. And then for the rest of our, rest of our lives, we'll spend in the state of Iowa. So that's kind of <laughs> how it went down. Like, Okay, you, we'll do this to get this out of your system, and then you know we'll just stay in Iowa, small town Iowa. And I was like, "All right, let's do it." <laughs> <laughs> I'll agree to that, man. Wow, 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 wow! Did you have any any uh, concerns head, heading into it, or no? Uh, not. I think I had some concerns. I knew it was gonna be a different lifestyle, but I I never knew like. I guess, I guess that that was about it. it like I knew it was gonna be a different lifestyle, but I didn't know what to expect. So um, I think the major concern was mainly getting malaria or maybe getting some type of disease or something. So that was that was about it. Got it. And so you arrive, you arrive in Cameroon. You're there. You know, your fiance. You're going through the the, the motions of getting to know, obviously, a completely new continent and country, and. What what was the reception like? How did you feel treated the moment you arrived and that those initial, you know, 30 days? Oh, well, it's funny that you say that. So when we when we stepped off the plane and as soon as we left the airport, like I was kind of taken aback because the scenery um, was so different. Because uh, because in that era you can see kind of like poverty like right in front of your face, mm. um, along with like mansions like right like right across the street from each other. So it's kind of it's kind of different. So I was like, at first I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of this is too much. Love coming from Florida and being in Tampa Bay sunshine and and then you know going over there to where it's a lot different where. Uh, you know, 
like I said, the property is in your face. Um, so once we got to our apartment, I felt a little comfortable. Like our apartment was really nice. Um, so we, we got like a three bedroom, two bathroom apartment. The apartment had like a little gazebo and a pool. Wow, it was very nice. We had fancy. security. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was very fancy. It was definitely <laughs> bigger than my, my college apartment, which was also three, like three, two, but it was much bigger. Um, but like I said, as soon as you leave your apartment grounds, you'll see some nice houses, but you walk further down the street and you can see a lot of poverty um, right in front of your face. Like it's, it's just uh, everywhere and it's crazy how it's mixed in. Like in the U.S. we have different neighborhoods where it's like sectioned off, okay, this is where all the rich people live, you know, middle mm-hmm. class, et cetera, gated communities, but there's like all jumbled in together. Also, we decided like, okay, we're gonna walk and we're gonna uh, check out the area and try to go to the grocery store, but um, we forgot to take off some jewelry and we actually got robbed. What? Yeah, so we got- The so first day? People. It was, uh, I think it was like the third the fourth day, yeah, it was in the first week. Oh my god! Yeah, so we were walking, and we we're like, okay, let's go to the only grocery store that we know. We'll just walk, and hopefully it'll be fine. But we had some jewelry on. People approached us, and um, I'm a pretty nice guy. And I was like, oh, okay, let's see what these people want. But uh, so one guy, he tried to like reach in my pocket and grab my wallet. So I pushed him in the middle of the street. Um, but then, unfortunately, he. My fiance was wearing a necklace, and he kind of grabbed both the necklaces and and ran and, and broke, and they broke off, and then he took off, and we didn't catch him. They took off like Usain Bolt, so oh my I was like, oh, I'm, not, I'm like, I'm not catching this guy. So it was kind of uh, traumatizing. We were like, oh, we have to go, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think we should give it a chance because uh, I think we we can still get robbed kind of anywhere but yeah. it's just unfortunate it was just us but you know let's give it a chance and we'll see but yeah it was very devastating wow. me that within the first week so i was like well it can only get better from here right <laughs> right so, oh my like, god so, is this the capital of cameroon no so the capital capital of cameroon is yonde and that's a little bit it's like a 30-minute flight, so about four or five-hour drive from where we were at. We were actually in the, the economic capital, so a lot of business dealings takes uh, place there. Okay, I see. Man, all right, so you got robbed within the first week. And I think this, I mean, man, this had to, this had to be tough because, again, you weren't just there by yourself. We're like, you know, whatever. Let's say you got robbed. You know, you can deal with your emotions yourself. You know yourself, but... Being the fact that you got robbed with your fiance, and here you are, you know, obviously I'm sure you feeling like, you know, you're there to protect her, you know, and things like that. And then this happens, and then obviously she feel, she says, we got to go. You have to kind of be like the, the strong face, right? Like, kind of like, nah, you know, we can get exactly. through this. Like, that has to be, I can't even imagine. That has to be so tough and devastating. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, it was It was definitely devastating. I think I, like, went to the gym and worked out, like, every day for a month straight. <laughs> like, but, uh... It was it was devastating because the personality that I that I had was I'm always a friendly guy. I, I like to have conversations with people, get to know people. But after that, it kind of turned me cold. Like I was, I turned mm. into like a cold person, to where I didn't want to necessarily communicate with anyone or even try to talk to anyone. I was always like in military mode, basic basically. So I was always wow. on defense, always on guard, and always watching my surroundings and. 
you know, always puffed up, like ready to, if someone tried to pull up on me, I'm just ready to, you know, attack Ready them. to pop off on them. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 just ready, ready to pop off. Like, okay, I'm not being Mr. Nice Guy how I usually am. So gotcha. uh, that was the kind of negative side effect that, mm. uh, that lasted for a long time while I was there. Wow. And so what, what were you teaching there in Cameroon? Ooh, so I had five different preps. Um, I was teaching chemistry, uh, seventh grade science, sixth grade math, seventh grade math, and geometry. Oh, you were just all over the place. Jesus. <laughs> all over the place. It was uh, really busy. I enjoyed the challenge, though, uh, but yeah. it was very busy. All right, so let's talk about now um, teaching in Cameroon. You are, you know, you're, you're an African-American, and now you're in an African country. You know, there's always the, the talk of, you know, the, that the, there's a big difference between the way Africans view, you know, black people and, and you know, and African-Americans in America. Did you feel that initially or at all? Like, tell me about that. I think as a man, as, I didn't necessarily feel it. I know I had a, a colleague, she's an African-American woman, and she felt it a little bit more than I did. But as a, as a man, usually uh, the men are put on a higher pedestal in that country kind of a misogynistic type place so I, I didn't feel it at all mm. and so I really got to know everyone kind of quickly and we were able to you know share our thoughts and bounce ideas off each other or bounce our experiences off of each other and uh and we had a lot of like similarities that were passed down from generations so it's pretty cool to see some of the things got it and so as you're teaching like tell me about like the culture what things do you notice right off the jump from like, you know, the culture of Cameroon? Like, all right, oh yeah, this is like this, this is what they usually do. Like what 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 nuances do you notice? Cause again, I know nothing of Cameroon. So like what did you notice as far as like nuances go in regards to culture? So I was at a private school. Um, so the kids were were well traveled, even uh, our local Cameroonian the local Cameroonians they were well well traveled. Um, so I think it would have been a little bit different if I was there with the, you know, the normal people Got it. who live there, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But I know that being there, uh, you know, personal, like personal space wasn't necessarily a thing. Uh, <laughs> so I've seen that a lot in uh, different countries. And, and there, a lot of people were very sensitive. So um, I also see that in the African-American community, too. Like, we have some sensitivity, but there is on another level of being sensitive, overly sensitive. So if you say something like uh, maybe like a critique to help someone improve, they may, you know, take it the wrong way. Mm. Uh, like a colleague may take it the wrong way and say, like, oh, you know, you're trying to threaten my job. And, you know, so mm. that was kind of one of the things there is like people are very sensitive. So don't try to, you know, rattle, you know, the boat. Got it. Got it. Um, did you, did you sense any kind of connection to the fact that, you know, obviously you went through this very difficult moment of getting robbed, right? So obviously a pretty negative perception of Cameroon as a place or whatever the case may be. But later on in your time, cause you were there two years, did you feel like a connection to Cameroon? Again, being a, a, a black person, like, Oh, you know, I'm here teaching, you know, in Africa. Like, do you feel any kind of connection at all? Or did it feel more like oh, yeah. you're, an, you're an American teaching in Africa kind of thing? How did that feel? Uh, I actually did feel a connection because I think we shared the kind of similar stories of uh, slavery. They had slavery there through the, the colonization type periods where people were in chains. So we got to 
you know, share our thoughts and ideas about that. Uh, the foods, uh, the way how the African women dressed was kind of similar to kind of like how the older, like grandma, like my older grandma, uh, how she would dress. And I was like, well, hey, that's definitely a connection. I kind of see how, even though we're all spread apart, but we all are very similar in the, the humor, uh, similar styles of humor, uh, the way how we talk, even though it's, I don't know, it was just a connection. I felt a very strong connection with the students as well because at these international schools, not a lot of African-Americans who come over there in general, like anywhere. So for I think that when we, when I got there, I was the first uh, African-American teacher that a lot of the students had. So they were more than welcome welcome to, uh, to me being there just by they wanted to learn more about the culture and and like that so we were really close like the students the parents myself we were really close by the end of the two years so i, I had a really deep connection that's awesome what is the view of americans of uh, with cameroonians there's a perception about america and americans and stuff like that uh with these particular students not necessarily because they already traveled there, but I think the more of the outsiders is that if you're like a white American, they'll have a perception about you, like, oh, you know, you probably have you probably have a lot of money, you're rich, you can get anything you want. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of like bribery mm. going on, especially at the the airport. When we, it was interesting because when we flew with Afri- other African airlines, the, there wasn't much bribery. But when we flew like a European airline, like Turkish or uh, especially Brussels or Air France, there was a lot of bribery going on. They'll find something small to bother you with, mm. uh, especially since my since my fiance she's she's Caucasian, she's white, okay. and so when I'm with her. Uh, people may look, they may look at her all the time. I notice it, but when I'm by myself, it's like, okay, I'm just another, you know, another, you know, black guy in camera. <laughs> so, Got it. Nothing to see. So, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've had to pay a few bribes to get out of the airport my oh, time wow. there. <laughs> and so, and let's so let's talk about that. How can how would you obviously? I'm I'm not talking to your fiance here on this interview, but how would you compare or like what are the discussions that are had? since you're in an interracial relationship while living in a predominantly black country and you're black, but your fiance is white. Like, have you seen like what struggles has she had and how have you like kind of like thought about that and like helped her with that or, you know? I think mainly for her, it was the the stares. There's always people looking at her because, you know, she's white and there's not a lot of white, there, there are white foreigners there, like people from France, and whatnot, but still, but they don't necessarily walk the streets like we did because we walked to and from school just about every day, especially the first uh, year and a half. So she always got looks and stares in the street. And when we went to different restaurants, no one would think like we were together. Mm. So there was one time we were we were actually walking home, and uh, like just a random lady just approached me, and I'm like. And was saying something. I don't know what she said. She was saying her French, but I was like, "Well, my fiance is right here." So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they they don't think that we're to, we're together. They're not used to seeing uh, interracial couples too much. Got it, um, got it, got it. <laughs> wow. 
Um, at what point the as you been uh, you been in Cameroon, did you feel like oh I can be here longer? You know, because you were there for two years. You might have signed, you signed a two year contract. I'm assuming. Signed a two year contract. Yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, actually winter break my first year. Even though I was still had my guard up, I spent uh, spent most. Of, I didn't come home to the U.S. My fiance did, but I stayed. And I was like, I'm just going to walk the streets. So mm. that's all I did over winter break for those like three weeks. I walked the streets every day. And as I walked the streets in my own neighborhood, I felt a little bit more comfortable. And uh, knowing the surroundings and knowing what's around and discovering different restaurants. And uh, that's when I was like, you know what? I think I might be able to do a second year here. And then, like I said, the students... They, since it's a small private school, they become your family. And mm. I was like coaching uh, basketball as well. So I really got to know them outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it made it a little, it made it a little tough to leave. It's like, okay, I, I, I could do two years. I could finish it. Got it. Got it. So what are some of like the, the, the great things about Cameroon? Like if you were like to sell somebody like, hey, you should go work and live in Cameroon. What would you tell them? fantastic um we went there's a beach called uh like cribby beach um so it was in the town of cribby's about two hours two and a half hour drive from uh douala where i was at and and it's so peaceful it's a it's a fishing village also everyone's so nice there uh, is a totally different vibe than the city it kind of reminded me of being home in florida actually with the way how people are so laid back um, it just had a nice beach vibe and that's to me that was like one of the best places there and uh, just the country itself is actually very beautiful once you get outside the city there's mountains uh, they even have like a desert all the way to the north so just for if you if it's safe enough to travel and drive around if you get a driver and see the country just for that reason it's great um, of course, being lots of bug spray and malaria medicine, but mm. um, but yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful country. Did you did you ever get sick, like really sick, and catch anything when you were out oh, there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've caught the first year. I was lucky because I didn't catch it. My my poor fiance, she did. But the second year, um, I caught it. And malaria. Yep, caught malaria. Oh. It was terrible. But honestly, uh, malaria, I'd rather catch malaria than have a, have the flu. Mm. Because malaria is it's easy to get rid of. Like over there, it's common. So they have all the, all you have to do is just go to the clinic. They they test you, do lab work. Okay, they say you have malaria, you need this type of medication. And then the medication over there is so cheap. You get the medication, take it. Uh, you start filling after it. Feeling better after day one of taking the medication. By day three, you're basically back to normal. Um, you still feel a little weak, but uh, you can work and you can function. Whereas the flu, the flu may take like two weeks. That's true. For example, just to get just to get over, and you're just like feeling miserable and just dog sick the whole time. Uh, but once once you have malaria, uh, you kind of know that you got it. Uh, you get a fever. Uh, you may get hot, hot cold sweats. Uh, you may feel like your body's itching, and that's when you know, like, okay, 
I need to go to the clinic and get tested for malaria. So got it, got it. When I ever heard the word malaria. I always thought about like this thing that I would be like hospitalized for like a week or something, you know, <laughs> That's exactly, an, yeah. and I'm sure the, a lot of other Americans feel the same way and like, oh my God, I can't go to Africa because I might catch malaria or some, something else. And it's not like they said it's common. They have the, they have the, the medicine that, you know, to make you feel better and you're better within one or three days versus like you said, the flu takes longer <laughs> and they just got to let yep. it run its course. So that, that's kind of, I think reassuring to know that hey if you catch it you're not gonna freaking die like you're gonna feel sick but you know you're gonna be all right so that's pretty cool to to know i think it's just visiting right i suppose someone wants to visit because i do want to visit africa but that's good to know that it's something that you could easily um overcome all right so what are some things so you, you said things why why people should probably live in cameroon what is some reason why people should probably choose another region uh another another place that's not cameroon to to live what would you say why not Cameroon? Because if you don't know French, it's kind of hard to communicate and get around. Um, I, I would say that if you're not ready to see poverty, I, I wouldn't go to Cameroon. Um, and also right now they're going through an Anglophone, Francophone crisis mm. um, that's kind of been back and forth, shootouts. Um, I would not choose it for that reason as well. And also, there wasn't one single mall within the whole country. So if you're a shopper, oh, really? uh, you can definitely find a little small market, but you won't find the average mall that you'll see in the in the U.S. or or a place like Dubai or some or London. Um, so those are some of the top reasons. And if you're a movie watcher, movie goer, you might only find like a one screen, one theater movie theater. And uh, the price of fruit is very high. Mm. Uh, so those for, for those reasons, I would say, if, you know, don't live there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Got it. Wow. One, one screen movie theater. Well, that's interesting. Wow. So mm. what do what do people what do like people do there normally then as far as like entertainment goes? Like what's a normal day in Cameroon so, like? So uh, basketball is up and coming. Uh, so that's getting popular. You have the players like Joel Embiid and Siakam mm. basketball in the NBA. That's kind of leading more Cameroonians to play basketball as a means of going out. So basketball, and then of course uh, soccer. Soccer is the number mm. one sport there. Uh, so they they stay in shape by doing that. They also have a lot of different concerts and a lot of smaller events too. But it's it's kind of hard to find because it's not online. Like for us, we just look up, okay, events in mm -hmm. Tampa, what's mm -hmm. going on. But over there, it's like, you have to do word of mouth. Or you might have to see a poster or, uh, or you might get an advertisement that might pop up on your like Instagram or Facebook. And like, Oh, okay. This looks cool. But it's, it's, it's hard. But once you get to know like the scene, um, then you can have a really good time. Got it, got it. Okay, so um, like I was, I was telling uh, Spencer this off air because he's taught in Cameroon, but he also lived in Pakistan and taught in Pakistan as well. Correct? Yes. All right. So let's not spend too much time on that. But Pakistan, obviously, I feel if you talk, ask any American or tell any American, "Hey, I'm living in Pakistan," the first thing that's going to come <laughs> to their mind is obviously going to probably be terrorism, right, or like some kind of 
unsafe place, right? So basically, yeah. obviously, you live there. You're alive. You're, <laughs> you know, I'm alive. yeah, you're alive. So, like, just I guess briefly, just to dispel the notions that Americans have of a place, like let's say of Pakistan. Like, what would you say to the typical Americans? Like, what are you doing? Are you insane? What would you say to them? I would, I would say like I, I wouldn't pay attention to the the media as well. Uh, my family they're like, "What? You going to Pakistan?" I had, I had one uncle who was like, "Oh, you hear what they're saying about the media in Pakistan and this, that, and the third. I'm like, "Well, look what they're saying the media about black people." So yeah, I'm not gonna listen to that. So I'm just gonna go and see how it is for myself. So once I got there, I I realized that the the Pakistanis, the average everyday person, are some of the nicest people that I've met in the in, you know my whole life. They're they're very welcoming, uh, and they just want to get to know you as a foreigner because a lot of because not a lot of foreigners visit Pakistan mm-hmm. like that. So they hear like, oh, you know, you're from America, or they just see like you have a different skin color. They automatically come up to you, greet you, mm-hmm. and they'll want to know more about you. They want to have like a nice, friendly conversation uh, to to get to know you. So I felt very welcome. I felt very safe while I was there. Um, so I never had any issues of not feeling safe while being there, while going to the movies or. Uh, going out to eat dinner, just walking around in general. I never had like a, a hostile type of vibe, I guess. Mm, okay. So I, I think that's very important to, to mention, right? Because again, I think for anyone that's listening, that's interested in living abroad, you know, because the one thing that I have kind of like in my favor, or I don't even know if it's in my favor, but whenever I tell people that I'm, I'm living in Costa Rica, by the way, whenever I tell people I'm living in Costa Rica, they're like, oh my God, you're so lucky. Oh my God, so beautiful. Like, yes, it's a beautiful country, but it doesn't mean that there's some things that I don't like about it, you know? <laughs> like, exactly. So, so yeah. it's, it's not this rosy picture or this super negative picture, you know, depending on what place you're talking about, right? Like, that's not that's not the truth. It's somewhere in the middle, right? Or more or less likely than what you think you know because we get most information through the media, right? And obviously, those things are not always the most accurate uh, sources of, of information. Like, you need to actually do your own research or, better yet, go visit the place. <laughs> so, yeah, go visit it. Um, I would say there is, like, things that happen where there's acts of terrorism mm-hmm. uh but i would i would say that it's you know maybe less uh than things that go on in the u.s i mean because in the u.s we have people who are shooting up schools we have people who are shooting up churches uh so we have a lot of things that are going on that's what we don't call like uh terrorism you know mm-hmm. but it's, true that's a very so good point <laughs> so yeah i would say it's um, you know, it's not bad there. Like I, like I enjoy my time there. Got it. And wh- what would you say now that you know you you live in Cameroon, you live in Pakistan? What would you say is is the number one lesson that you got from living just in both places? If there is like one lesson that you you got from that? I think my number one lesson, to be honest, is you know just don't be uh, too flashy. <laughs> <laughs> Because these are places to where um, 
you know, is is not as as rich, uh, you know, economically mm-hmm. well off as the U.S. And of course, you can have a let's say a normal job, or let's say even if you work in that Burger King, McDonald's, and you can you can afford like uh, still get a nice chain, you know, for under a hundred dollars, but. A uh, hundred dollars over there goes way farther, and sometimes it takes them months or even, uh, you know, six, seven months just to receive a hundred dollars. So yeah, crazy. Um, I would say just don't just don't be flashy unless you're going to a place to where uh, everyone there is on your particular level, so to speak, and just uh kind of you know watch your back. That, that's like my number one lesson in both places and also be welcoming of uh new things if you're if you're welcome to new things open to new things and you'll have a great time got it that's that's pretty good all right and speaking of new things you know we're in the new year right so january fresh start (laughs) um what's something that you personally you know as someone that's currently uh i know you're in tampa currently but you're you're gonna go abroad hopefully soon again right very soon yes exactly so what's something that you have for yourself as like a goal or quote-unquote resolution that you have for yourself as a person as an international individual what is one goal that you have for yourself heading into this 2020 new decade i think that kind of i think my uh, overall goal is just to get over my fear of the unknown so even though i've done you know even though i've had military experience and also I've traveled a lot. Um, it's still, I still have this fear of the unknown that every time I do something new, it's kind of scary. So I kind of want to just embrace it and enjoy the moment a little more, you know? So that's kind of, that's kind of my goal, uh, is kind of embrace, embrace it, embrace life and, uh, just be ready for anything. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Spencer. Um, it's always great to get perspective on places that I've never even visited or know much about, like Cameroon and Pakistan. I know next to nothing about these places from obviously Pakistan, what I hear obviously in the media when, you know, terrorism, all that stuff. But um, it's good to hear, you know, people that have lived there. You know, it's not just, oh, I did research. I know about this. Like, no, like I've lived there so I can tell you X, Y and Z. I think that's like, you know, first-hand experience is the best <laughs> knowledge you can receive, right? And obviously, yeah, everyone has their own biases, their own personal experiences. But to me, there's nothing that tops that, right? So now that I've listened to Spencer talk about, you know, and his very authentic self talk about his experiences living in these places, I would feel if I ever wanted to venture, so I say, Cameroon or Pakistan, I don't know how likely that is, but, <laughs> you know, if I wanted to venture there, I'm like, okay, at least I know I know somebody that's lived there, right? And that's somebody that's just read an article or, you know, whatever, you know, that's, that's why I find these talks so uh, important, not only to me and hopefully to you, if you, you know, if you're considering ever visiting any of these places, like literally any place in the world. Um, I, I, and that's why it was very critical for me to get this episode in because I have not uh, spoken to anyone that has lived in Africa yet. So, or, you know, I mean, that's uh, lived abroad in Africa, right? I've spoken to guys that are African, but no one has lived abroad in Africa for uh, some time. So that was really good. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I just, again, want to apologize for the long wait. Um, next week, I should have a very special guest on, on program. Um, 
I say special guests and some people are like, who the hell do you know? <laughs> I say special guests because some of you might know this person, especially if you were a colleague of mine back in my old job. I know a lot of my former colleagues and friends listen to this program, so uh, that would be a special guest. Hopefully, I have her on. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this again on a weekly basis. I'm trying to get my ducks in a row, you know? <laughs> so yeah, uh, tune in. Again, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I uh, so far have I think 21 reviews, all five stars. So I like, greatly appreciate that. Let's keep that five that five star rating going. But yeah, uh, talk to you soon. This is the Living Color Abroad.